Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Wish I Knew, a podcast where I speak with people about their success, advice given or received, and listen to their interesting stories about their careers. I'm your host, Gary Nowak, and today I've got a fun and insightful one for you, my good friend and former colleague, Terry Robinson. Terry's career is interesting because it moved from industry to consulting and back to consulting. She elevated herself to VP and CIO status in the restaurant industry, ultimately spending the last 16 plus years in consulting with the big four as a managing director. Some highlights from our discussion are handling bomb threats at age 16 and following orders, become a CIO, then asking to be laid off, grab balance in your life because nobody's going to give it to you. That was some good advice that she provided. Success equals helping others. The impact of mentoring from both angles, when to move between industry and consulting. Consulting is about working with smart people, and she indicated it's not a real job. You want to stay tuned for that. Take a stand, have a firm point of view, create your own future, and finally, beware of the queen bee. First time I've ever heard that. So sit back, relax, I'll get out of your way, and enjoy my conversation with Terry Robinson. Terry, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, Gary. I am thrilled to be able to chat with you today. I'm so excited. I listen to podcasts all the time, so it's really an honor for me to have someone ask me to be a participant on one. Well, have you ever participated in a podcast before? I have not. Wow. Yeah, this is this is my first uh, venture in this, but I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to you and excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. Not half as excited as me. So I'd like to start off with your very first job, Terry. What was it? My very first job was in high school. My mom was the office administrator at a nursing home. And they needed somebody to work the front desk, be the receptionist on nights and weekends. And that was my first job. So I would go after school and like two two days a week, I'd go after school and man, woman, the desk, um, you know, the front desk when people came into the nursing home and then like one day on the weekend. So I worked about 20 to 30 hours a week doing that, which was a really interesting job. What was the most interesting part? This turned out to be something that really taught me a lot. So my first day when I was alone, so they trained me right on how to answer the phone and how to greet the guests and kind of how to direct people. So my first day alone on the desk, I answer the phone and a gentleman says to me, in exactly 10 minutes, a bomb is going to go off in your facility. You better evacuate the residents. You're kidding. No, not kidding. Right. So I'm 16 years old. I go, huh. (laughs) As one would do. Huh. What do I do now? And it's Saturday. So really nobody's around, you know, the, the nursing staff is there, right? But in terms of the, the administrative staff, like the bosses of the place, right? Fortunately, one just happened to be there, right? So one of the, one of the main people that run, that ran the nursing home just happened to be there. So I went over and I said, can I ask you a question, right? I just got this strange phone call and I didn't, that we didn't cover this in training, right? I said, so when someone calls in a bomb threat, what do we do? <laughs> because it wasn't in the training manual on page it was 27. Not, they had not trained me. I thought maybe this happened all the time. What do I know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, trial by fire there. Yes. Hopefully there right. wasn't. No, there was not. So, you know, any catastrophe there. Yeah. They, they evacuated the nursing home, right? They, right. they evacuated the nursing home and the boss, the man, uh, and Mr. Harris was his name. So Mr. Harris says to me, he's like, oh my God, we've got to evacuate the nursing home. I go, okay. So I go to get my purse to get out. He goes, no, you stay here and be on the phone in case he calls. <laughs> so they evacuate the nursing home. The police and the fire department come, right? And they come busting through the front door and they're like, what are you doing in here? And I said, well, Mr. Harris told me I had to answer the phone. <laughs> they're like, get out, get out. Good old, good old Mr. Harris, you know, yes. and you get a Christmas card from him every year since then, right? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, what that, hey, what that taught me was 
you got to be prepared for everything. And how you get prepared for everything is use the skills that you've acquired so far today and apply them in a new situation, right? So be smart. Think every day you're going to be faced with things perhaps you've never been faced with. But say to yourself, think of the smartest person you know and say, what would they do? Took that lesson from when you were 16 and applied that throughout <laughs> your whole career, I think. Based yes, on working I with did. You. I really did. I was like, when you're faced with something that that is not in the training manual, right? Something you've never faced before, say, take a moment. What's What would be the smartest person that you know? What would they do? Can you do that? Now that you mentioned it, you, you were kind of a bit of a firefighter. You figured it out. You yes. didn't always have a manual. And that's the consulting field. Hey, if you don't mind... Could you just provide an overall snapshot of your career for the audience? Sure. So I got my degree at the University of Florida, got an undergraduate degree in computer science and math education. I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And I still really am attracted to and embrace the things about teaching that I think really inspire all teachers, right? To work with people and and see them learn help people understand different concepts and ways of thinking. But I quickly decided that the teaching profession per se wasn't for me, right? I I just wasn't cut out to be the high school math teacher I thought I was. And so because I had a a degree in computer science, I, I got a job as a computer programmer. And through progressive positions, you know, worked up in a couple companies as a computer programmer, Decided to go back to school and get my MBA because while I, I really liked computer programming, I'm, an, I'm a nerd at heart, I'm happy to admit it. What I found more interesting was not the actual programming, right, coding per se. It was trying to figure out how to solve the problems, and that's more the business end. So I went back, got my MBA. When I went back and got my MBA, I became a consultant for my first round of consulting. So Worked in consulting then for several years, like a lot of people. And I spent probably half my career in consulting, half in line jobs. A lot of consultants do that because I think that there are things that are interesting and challenging in both lines of work. So did some consulting at PwC. I got married and thought that being on the road 52 weeks a year, five days a week was not conducive to staying married. So got a job um, at a company in management in IT, worked my way up. I really liked that company. It's Darden Restaurants. I had a great, great time there, great career, um, progressively better positions. Early in my career, once I decided I was going to go into information technology, I wanted to be a CIO. It became clear to me that while I could be the CIO at Darden, I could be the CIO somewhere else faster, right? The I wanted to get there faster than the path they had me on. So I jumped at the chance when the opportunity came, jumped to another company, became the CIO, became, in many respects, a really interesting job. I was the only, only woman in the C-suite, really the first woman. Not only was I the only woman in the C-suite, I was the only woman they'd ever had in the C-suite. Really interesting doing that job, was a CIO, loved it. Probably my favorite job ever is being a CIO. That company went through some financial difficulty and I managed to convince them that they ought to lay me off, which was an interesting move in some respects, right? I I thought, you know what? I think they're better off freeing me, me being free from them. I can go off and do something else, but you know, they just don't better for the organization if we do that. And so went back into consulting. Quick question on that. Mm -hmm. What was the rationale for that? Why did you think it was better for, was it better for Terry or was it better for the company? I honestly think it was better for both of us. They needed to do significant cost reduction. You know, my, you know, they were paying me a lot of money. Thank goodness. They were not only going through financial hard times, they were significantly shrinking. And so I didn't really think they needed a CIO. They needed somebody to be head of IT, but it didn't need to be a CIO with a CIO salary and all of that. that was. They had already eliminated a couple of other C-level executives, right? And gone to like head of departments. 
So I really thought it was better for them. My dream of being a CIO at an increasingly shrinking company was not my dream. <laughs> so for me, it was better too. Writing was on the wall. Yeah. So went back salting and never went back. Quick question about being, you know, the only woman mm-hmm. in, in that field in the executive suite. How was that for you? How did you how did you embrace that? Early in my career, one of the things that I would say was really a discovery for me. So when I was in college and, in, you know, from, let's say, junior high, high school into college, it's an environment, certainly back then, even today, right? There's lots of talented men and women, boys and girls, right? It was only when I was in college and getting ready to graduate that it that it became more obvious to me that in the working world, there wasn't such an even mix. I somehow thought that this even mix that you see, right, when you're growing up is the same in the workforce, right? That would make sense. It was really when I started to look at um, graduate school and when I started to look at the working world and noticed there weren't a lot of women. I didn't really think about where they'd all gone. Well, they didn't go to the workforce. They went somewhere else, right? But there weren't a lot of women. And so early in my career, I set out to be a trailblazer. I thought that that was an important thing to accomplish. Not only did I want to be a CIO, but I wanted to both be a trailblazer for women and I wanted to help other women succeed. And that's something that has stayed with me my entire career. Um, something that I've found a lot of satisfaction in. It's not, it's not enough for me to be successful if I can't help really specifically other women be successful along with me. So quick question on that. Did you have a role model? Early on, I had um, a female boss, right? So at one of the companies where I was a computer programmer, I had a, a woman who was a boss and she ran a lot of stuff in the company. She really helped me see that really the sky's the limit as long as you can prove your worth. That's a long discussion, but you know, you really can do a lot of things if you put your mind to it and doors can open for you. So early on, I will say as much as I had along the way, women like Julie, that was her name, your role model, I met other women who closed the doors in my face. So there are women in the workforce. There's a phenomena called the queen bee syndrome. I don't know if you've heard of this, but it is so competitive at higher levels of organizations that some women believe that once they make it in, they need to close the door behind them so that they don't get displaced by another woman. Because in many, in a number of organizations, there's this there's belief, well, we've got diversity, you know, we've got one woman, right? So there's this mentality that there's only a fixed number of positions for women. So if women can't have every job, then they can only have a few. Then there are women who get in and shut the door behind them because there's only a few jobs women can have. I never wanted to be that. I wanted to be the woman that broke open the doors, that led of other, you know, helped other women be successful. I was never going to be the smartest, most talented, right, person in the room, but I was willing to do the work. And I knew that surrounding myself with good, smart people, and I wanted that to be wherever I could, good, smart women, would help me be better. How did you go about nurturing other women or paving the way or making it easier path for them? What I tried to do whenever I could is, I would say, take them with me, right? Include them in everything I did. So if there was a chance to take, particularly when I had a line job, so when I had a line job... There were lots of meetings that I went to, lots of things, right? Various things that you had to work on. Anytime I could take somebody who was working for me, with me, particularly if I could take another woman, even if they didn't have anything, even if I was just taking them with me, right? So they were related to the project in some way or related to the initiative. But anytime I could take somebody with me or assign them on a project that I was assigned on, every time I could do that. I tried to, right? Whenever there was a chance um, to take somebody with me, I tried to do that. 
What is your perspective on, because you worked in consulting, and when you say line job, you mean a job in industry of some sort. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So a couple things on that. When you work over into the consulting area, and, you know, there are young people, and, and obviously, you know, as a partner at a big four, you're looked up to, I'm, I'm certain, by several people. What advice do you give to people about mentoring and approaching you to uh, mentor them? Don't be afraid to ask for, it doesn't even have to be termed help. Don't be afraid to ask to be the passenger, right? When I take people around, don't be afraid to ask to be included. When you were asked to mentor somebody, what what reaction did you have? How did you feel? I really liked mentoring people. Actually, one of the best volunteer jobs I had over my career was I mentored students at my graduate at the college where I went to graduate school. So I went to graduate school at Rollins and got an MBA there. Uh, One of the things that uh, one of the programs I participated in for a while was I mentored MBA students, usually in their second year, right in their kind of their second year of school there, which was fascinating to me and really I would say really invigorating to me. They were so smart, so enthusiastic, so curious, um, really helped in many ways ground me back again, right? Sometimes the grind of the world will make you lose those, you know, those skills you have. Um, but I loved mentoring them, talking to them about, you know, as they were going to be switching years from a scholastic role to a working world role. But I really liked mentoring them, channeling their energy and helping them kind of think about what they wanted to do to refocus into a working world from a collegiate. I love mentoring. It's been kind of a foundation of what I liked, liked about consulting, spending time overseas. I always got inspired by the young generation when yeah. they would come in and their ideas I just, it would, it would help me. And I've often written about being selfish with your career. And a lot of time being selfish is there's a knock on effect. My being selfish with wanting to mentor, mm-hmm. hopefully the people that I mentored got something out of it. But I did it for basically selfish reasons because I loved it. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. A question that I had for you, and I wanted your perspective on consulting versus industry. Do you have a point of view? When you can go from one to the other, where should, where you should start? When is it okay to switch over? Interesting question. So I think that that can be different for different people. But here's what I found worked for me. One of the things that I'm most successful doing when I'm consulting is being able to ground my advice and what is real knowledge. And real knowledge can come in a number of ways. For me, I was always most comfortable when I could ground it in experiences that I'd had. So having a line job taught me a lot about what I always told my clients was the real world, right? Consulting, you know, consulting is not the real world. You know, I I told my clients all the time, I said, I had a real job just like you one time. I mean, you know, consulting is not a real job. I had a real job once, right? I had a real job where there was real accountability, right? What's famous about consulting is, right, you go in, you provide your advice, hope they take it, right? Um, but if they don't, you still get paid. So um, yeah, having a job where you have real accountability, I found that those experiences made me a better consultant. Consulting around things that I had studied, maybe, things that I had seen other companies do, I wasn't, I don't think, as insightful or as helpful versus things that I had been able to experience myself directly. And so I felt like having a mix in my background of having real accountability for P&Ls, for careers of individuals, for delivering certain results that the company needed at certain times, having that made me a better consultant in helping companies as they you know, struggled with whatever problems that I was helping them with. So starting as a line job, moving into consulting, you can certainly do that. Going back and forth, I think, once you've crossed over either way, it's super easy to go back and forth. And you should do it whenever the business challenges of 
that environment are more intriguing to you than the one that you're in. So there'll be times in your career where it's, you know, more interesting and more intriguing. I got out of consulting the first time because I thought that being on the road was not going to be conducive to staying married. For me, it worked really well to have a line job, get really well-rounded. Thank goodness. Um, I'm still married 35 years next month. We worked in a way together, my husband and I, so that I could go back to consulting after we'd been married for a while. Congratulations on the 35 years. Thanks. A perspective that I have for people that are consulting is you have to involve your partner. You need to involve your family because consulting can absorb a night where you had a dinner planned with your spouse. Mm -hmm. It can wreck a weekend where you're going to get away and maybe go see your parents Mm -hmm. because the job says, hey, we need to work on this RFP. So, you know, I, I think a good piece of advice that I tend to give is when you're a consultant, you need to involve the important people in your life to explain you have the best intentions to meet every obligation with the family, with your partner. However, certain things happen in a business where you kind of have to put that to the side. So it sounds like you did that in your relationship. Yes, that and I think that it's more difficult. Well, you just need to be better at drawing boundaries as a consultant than you do in a line job. Line jobs are more predictable, right? So there's there's certainly times when I had a job in industry where nights and weekends were taken up. Um, you know, certainly in information technology, I worked for a period of time where I was, you know, I was running the data center. I was um, in charge of I was in charge of all the technology at Darden Restaurants. I was in charge of all of the store-based technology. So there were times when things happened and, you know, that's not totally predictable, right? That I was, that I had to be involved. But in general, your time is more predictable, right? So in consulting, yes, you I certainly couldn't have done it without my husband. No questions asked. Um, but you also need to learn how to draw some boundaries around the consulting world as well, because it can, it can consume every ounce of your waking life if you're not careful. What advice do you give to young people that are concerned about work-life balance going into consulting and how to draw those boundaries? You want to find a place where you can operate and bring your expertise to the fore in a way that leaves you time for other things for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is you'll just burn out. If you find yourself in situations in consulting where it's taking every waking moment of your life, and that can be because you have, you're in a field where you're out of your element and you've got to do a lot to figure it out. It can be where you have a client who is totally unreasonable. It can be where you've got a boss that's unreasonable. Anything can be worked on for a while, but you don't want to last in that. So if you find yourself in a situation where it's taking every moment of your waking life, you've got to figure out either how to move into something where you can, you've got a better boss, you've got a better client who allows you to do that, to allows you to draw some boundaries, or or it doesn't take every waking moment to get enough expertise to provide the answer, right? You've got to move beyond that. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to survive it and be successful. So anything's tolerable for a while, but it doesn't have to be long. Find your way. The good news in consulting is you can move, you can move around and find different clients, different bosses, right? You can find ways to get that balance. You're going to have to grab that balance. No one's going to give it to you. Um, in consulting, certainly when I was in consulting um, early on, so back when I was in consulting in my 20s, there was a there was a spoken, I was going to say unspoken, but there was a spoken opinion that because I was single that I had nothing to keep me from working nights and weekends. And I had to tell my boss that if I continue to work nights and weekends, I would continue to be single all my life. And in fact, I had more of a need for balance than my married than my married co-workers. Ironic. Yes. You raised, you said something I thought that was fantastic, which is grab the balance. What I see in consulting is you have, there's the, always the good and the bad. The good is if you're on a bad project, it's going to be over soon enough and you can move That's on right. if you're working with a bad partner. The other side is nobody knows what else you're doing unless you put those boundaries up, explain it to them. So you could be sitting at your desk and five people can come up to you and expect you to do something 
when you have other obligations. So mm-hmm. grabbing the balance, I think, is a great tagline for young people to control their lives. And just because you don't have a family and being single all my life, <laughs> I filled up that void with a lot of work, unfortunately, I have heaps of regrets. It's giving the power to you to set your own boundaries as a young person to to get that work-life balance because nobody wants somebody that is working 100% or thinking 100% about work all the time. That's not a well-rounded person. No. Uh, and I'll say anytime anybody ever told me, right, I needed to wait longer than I thought I needed to wait for something or they couldn't do something in this time or, you know, they, they put up the boundaries. I absolutely respected it. I, I made a point of I, I never asked them to take those boundaries down. If anybody told me that they were, you know, they had a vacation planned, I never called them on vacation. I tried to be super respectful of people's boundaries. Couldn't agree more. And that's a lot of that's up to the person, up to that young person to Mm -hmm. put up those boundaries. So empowering that person to say, because we wouldn't walk up and say, if you're busy, you don't have to do it. But we would say, hey, here's what I need. Are you capable Mm -hmm. of doing it in this time frame? And we want an honest answer. We don't always want to hear yes. And if you're unable to do it, what I like is, you know what, Gary, I can't get it done today. However, I know so-and-so has some free time today or another person can do that for you because they're helping you solve a problem, which is great consulting skill. You can't do it. That's right. Yeah. But somebody else can do it. And you point me in that direction. It's like, ah, oh, superstar. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I'm trying to coin a phrase being a subtle superstar in consulting because sometimes you have to blow your own horn, i.e. performance reviews. And a lot of times, it's just good to be nice and subtle about how great you are, and you will get recognized. But there is a point in time where you do have to say how great you are, and you got to pick those moments with your with your mentor, with your performance manager, you know, through various sessions, collaboration sessions, things like that. Wanted to jump over to your being a woman in, as you mentioned, as an executive in the C suite at Darden. Or sorry, at the at the smaller company. Mm-hmm. The company's name was MRG. MRG. How how was it for you in the consulting world, where you're meant to give solid opinions, you're meant to show up and have uh, a, a great deal of expertise in an area, a heavy opinion in an area? How did you how did you navigate through that? So one of the things that I really like about consulting is you get to work with super smart people. And those are both your clients as well as your coworkers. You don't get to be a consultant for very long if you're not, I think, really inquisitive and trying to draw new and different conclusions based on information that you have and hyper client focused and working with a lot of people that had that similar interest as I had is really invigorating, right? The downside of that is you don't always feel like there's room for you. You're competing, right? You've got to elbow your way in because there's so many strong opinions. There's so many people with points of view. You've got to make your word heard. When you have a job in industry, you've got a title and you've got status. And so that gives you some more latitude to have your voice heard. Not saying that there aren't times when you don't have to elbow your way around. Certainly once I got to the once I got to the executive level, there's you got to elbow your way through all the other executives. In consulting, it's I think more of a daily task to get your voice heard. And so what I found was really important is have an opinion, right? So pick the things you're going to have a point of view on and be sure to articulate that. Don't think There's nothing about your position that people are going to assume you've got a certain level of knowledge or expertise. You've got to articulate that, make your voice heard. Don't let others take your voice away. Either take your voice away because they fuck over you, they don't include you. You're going to maybe have to take more runs at it, but be sure to make, you know, be sure to continue to make your voice heard. Making your voice heard, right, expressing your opinions will help you both with your own colleagues as well as your clients. I remember one time I was working on a project 
and I was called to transition somebody off of a project, another consultant, I was going to take their place. And they said that the reason that they were asking me to do that, right, to take this other person's place is because the consultant there literally expressed no opinions or points of view. And they knew that I had opinions and points of view, and that's what the client was paying for. So make your point of view heard in meetings. Don't go un, don't go unspoken. Don't go unsaid. Don't go unnoted. Would you attribute that as a, as a key component to your success is having a point of view? And I guess, you know, when I reflect back to the earlier point you made about you worked in industry. So you had, you had a C-suite job. So you had this credibility. Mm-hmm. Was right. that, that was beneficial and certain for your opinion? Yes. But, you know, when you're a consultant, the good news is when a company hires you, they do want to hear your advice. They're not paying money not to hear your advice. They may not take your advice, but they're paying money to get your advice. So as a consultant, yes, they want to hear your advice. So have something meaningful and important to say to them. Don't think that others should be saying that for you. But also don't think that because you are a consultant, particularly when you're in a room of your colleagues, that they'll be necessarily listening to you if you don't speak up and make your voice heard. So getting into advice, what's the best advice you've ever been given? It's a good question. You know, I think a couple pieces of advice. One of the things that really grounded me throughout my career is that my parents always told me I could I could do anything I wanted. I could be anybody I wanted to be if I put in the work. They Neither of my parents graduated from college, but they saw that by putting in the work, I mean, they were successful in their own careers by working hard, making sure that they were listening to mentors as they went along the way. So my parents always taught me, right? You can do it. You can be what you want to be as long as you put in the work. Don't let other people create your future. You need to create the future for yourself. Don't create a future for, or don't plan a future for yourself, which is based on the expectations of others. Create a future for yourself, which is based on your own expectations. You know, I think while I loved certain aspects of teaching, back to getting a teaching degree, early on when I was in college, I think I thought that that was what women did, right? Women got jobs as teach. That was a job I saw women do, right? When I tried teaching, I found, again, I loved certain elements of it, but the total package was not for me. And I think I wouldn't have gone down that road if I'd really said, is this the future I want for myself? Or is this the future I think other people, right, might want for me? I switched into, like I said, I switched into information technology. Certainly at that time, there were, right, there weren't a lot of people in information technology, period, let alone women. I was like alone in an alone place. <laughs> but I loved it. I, I, and I think that's what really energized me, right? I was in a, I was alone in a place. So I was doing something that was new and exciting and it didn't have, you know, a hundred years of expectations built around how people become successful in that field. And I felt there's a lot of opportunity for me because that's the kind of stuff I really enjoyed is to be to be a trailblazer. That's great. It's it's really great foundation at home. And then I think it's a great message to anybody listening to set your own path to to blaze your own trail to build the life that you want for yourself, not the expectations of what others are putting on you. Right. Right. When you look back, what is your proudest moment? Gosh, you know, certainly when it comes to my life, my, you know, my proudest moment is being a good daughter, being a good wife, those things. In my career, one of the things that I'm really proud of is when I was working at Darden, we were rolling out completely new technology to the restaurants for their point of sale systems. And that technology had some issues early on. Try as we might, I would say my team and I were not ahead of those issues, to be fair. Those issues then got escalated to the CEO of the company. 
So you never want the project you're working on when it's got problems to be escalated to the CEO of the company. I would just say (laughs) maybe an obvious lesson, but never want this. I was in a meeting with some of the restaurant operators, right? Trying to, you know, we were trying to assess what was going wrong, trying to kind of figure out what, what was really broken, what was not. The CEO of the company unexpectedly shows up at the meeting to hear, right? Firsthand. Oh, surprise, surprise, surprise to me shows up at the meeting. I mean, this is a, a multi-billion dollar company, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. meeting I'm in running to find out, you know, firsthand what's going on after the meeting calls me aside, not only calls me aside, basically orders me onto the company plane and spends, he tells me he'll, we'll be, I'll be riding home with him, not my commercial flight and spends the next X hours with him on the plane going over what's wrong and what I'm going to do about it. Wow. So, yes. So I get back and I think my career has now flashed in front of my eyes, right? On a private jet. (laughs) On a private jet, right? Caping. So I get back, huddle with my team and say, I don't know exactly what we're going to do to fix it. We didn't quite know what was wrong, but we are going to not only fix it, we are going to get the confidence back of the CEO and you know, most importantly, the operators of the restaurants and what we're doing. You know, we put a plan together and we just, we worked at what we worked at. We, we put, um, got to the, you know, we were, we gradually figured out kind of what was wrong with the software. We put a whole care plan together where we would at every step we took, we would call certain number of restaurant managers and talk to them and tell them what we were doing. And then we would call their bosses and talk to them about what we were doing. And then we would call their bosses. And we had this whole schedule set up of regular communication where we were both telling them what we were doing, but listening to them about what they were seeing. We got the problems fixed. We got the restaurants confident in this. We got the rollout started again. Ultimately, the rollout was very successful. Every year, the company gave out awards for, you know, certain things. My team that year won an award for the most impactful project in the company, which turned out, yeah, I mean, it turned out they they awarded us stock in the company because of what we had done. Oh, my. Yeah, I, it went from literally my career flashing in front of my eyes to you know, what I thought was a really satisfying accomplishment for my team. And throughout my career, one of the things that, you know, I continue to, I would say, enjoy is the collaboration of people on teams. And consulting is a great way. You know, it feeds my my need to collaborate. But working with my team to take what was you know, certainly not a good day for any of us and turn it into something really successful for the company and something really satisfying for us as well was, you know, I would say one of the greatest lessons I've learned, you know, I would say, don't get yourself into these situations, first of all, (laughs) if you can help it. But if you do listen, put the team around you and then just focus on listening to your customers, taking their advice and making the situation better for them. In the end, that's what's going to make you successful. You know, you're only successful if your customers think you're successful. Well, you've wrapped up like a whole podcast inside of one question in three minutes. You were on a private plane. You saw your career going down. You had arguably one of the greatest failures of your career turning into one of the biggest successes because the question was, what's your proudest moment? That was the question. Yes. But it is my proudest moment. <laughs> I know. Well, one might say, hey, I was on a private plane. But no. And you got berated by the CEO. You rallied the team. You And what you mentioned, you listened. I think that's the biggest skill set we have as human beings, not the least of which is a consultant, is to just authentically listen. And you got stock options from it. You got an award from it. You empowered the team. And what you did, 
I don't know if you realize it, but you deflected the praise to your team. You didn't say, I got it done. You're like, no, my team rallied around it and got it done, which I think is just the sign of a great leader is to deflect praise and always accept blame. So congratulations on that. Hey, thanks. I mean, like I said, I, I think I would be nowhere in my career if I hadn't been surrounded by a lot of other very, very talented people. And the moment that I don't recognize that, the moment that I think I can do it all by myself is the moment when failure begins. It makes me question this Timberstone move of yours because, I don't know, you got to be surrounded by good quality team members. We're going to table that because I don't want to get into that right now. So, yeah, we're not going to go down that path. I've got a few more conversations to have with some people that we all know. Management consulting, and I'll let you kind of take it where you want, either you know, your a cringeworthy moment, your biggest disappointment, your happiest moment, favorite client, favorite project, favorite dinner. What kind of stands out in your mind with your illustrious career in consulting that you'd like to share? My favorite moment was when we landed a huge project at a client. We had been working for six months to try to we had a small engagement at a client who we were working to land a much, much larger, much more meaningful engagement. Do I know this client? Yes. Yes. I, let's just kind of leave it at a client. But, you know, so we had a small project. We were doing fine on the small project, but the stakes were a much larger engagement, a much more meaningful engagement for them as well as for us. Highly competitive. They were looking at, you know, certainly the uh, the top other consulting companies in the world. We landed that project, and when we landed the project, which was a, a huge multi-year, multi-million-dollar engagement, you know, one of the things that the client told us was that they couldn't imagine being on the journey they were about to embark on without us. It was so satisfying to know that. Although we'd been doing a small project, which was certainly not showing all of our capabilities and what we could do, the fact that we had worked hard on a, a smaller, less impactful project and used that as a way to try to gain confidence. Um, and they were willing to take that much smaller project and blow it out across a much larger part of the organization uh, was really satisfying. So one thing I want to turn back to that you mentioned earlier was about in industry, you have a title, and that gives you immediate power and maybe not a lot of people to counteract it. And when I think about consulting, you're winning this project. We have to have a point of view because, you know, as a partner to Big Four, you're presenting to a client and they're also talking to the competitors right? who also have somebody at your level. right? So you're not standing out as much. So to be a, a great consultant to win a project like that, you have to have a point of view. And all too often, at least in our world, when we were, we were behind the curtain a lot of the times with outsourcing. So we would manage an RFP process request for a proposal process mm -hmm. if a company wanted to outsource certain things. So we'd be with the executives and listen to what they were saying. And all too often, I would hear them say, they should just tell us what they think we should do rather than saying, you can do whatever you want and we're the best partner to work with you on. If you want to go fast, you want to go slow. There is a nuance to that and there is some logic to that. However, more often than not, a client wants to hear a solid point of view and we're willing to be knocked off a point of view or we're willing to listen to why it would go one way versus the other. I just kind of wanted to tie back to what you said that being a partner at a big four you have a whole bunch of other people that have sharper elbows that may have stronger opinions. So you have to f figure out your way and find your voice. Yes. Are you ready to have uh, some fun, some fun questions? Sure. Is this the lightning? <laughs> For you, it is. Yeah. I, <laughs> okay. You're helping me brand it because I, I call it rapid fire, but lightning run. And what I'm learning, it's not too lightning because when you mention something that I'm going to ask you, I have an opinion, and we'll probably talk about it for minutes. So it's less okay. lightning, more like snail round. So okay. what what is a, a favorite movie or book? Um, so one of the things that I have um, enjoyed about retirement and quarantine is I've been able to read more. And I really like books that help me understand how people think. I'm always really interested in how other people think and how they got to where they are. So I was looking at my bookshelf the other day about 
some of the really interesting books that I've read lately. So I would say in uh, no particular order. Um, so Catch and Kill by Ronan Farrow, which is about Harvey Weinstein and, and just What's, what's interesting about that, I think everybody knows about the Harvey Weinstein story by now, but what Ronan as a journalist went through to try to report on that story is just really interesting. And that's covered in the book? Yes. And that's really what the book is about. It's more about, I'd say it's 70% about what he did and the obstacles he ran into in reporting the story because there was a lot of resistance to bringing that story forward. You know, I love Becoming by Michelle Obama. I think she's, yeah, enough said. Bad Blood. So this is, Bad Blood is a book about um, the woman who, I mean, she's now, long story short, she basically perpetrated a fraud and now is, you know, being, I think she's, she's under SEC investigation. So she came up with an idea that you could invent a machine that you could put a drop of blood in and it would do four or 500 different tests, right? So when your blood is, you know, when you get your blood drawn for a test, there's any number of conceivable tests they could do. Typically, they're doing just one or two. But she came up with this idea that you could put your blood in and it could do any number of tests and that this could be as easy as going to your local pharmacy and you say, Hey, I want to get all these different tests run and there's a menu, blah, blah, blah. It turns out that in today's understanding of science, that's impossible. But she convinced people that it actually worked millions and hundreds of millions of dollars in investor money, blah, 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 basically mocked up these things that are the equivalent of a laser. Uh, I mean, really. <laughs> Wow. I mean, she built this like a billion dollar company that turned out to be a total fraud. Wow. It, it's in, it's just interesting how she was able to convince people all along the way that this was working and possible. People want to believe. Yes. Well, because you, you and I say, oh, I guess. Right. So I'm not a scientist. Right. I go, oh, I, I you know, hey, who think about all the things. But how does that work, right? Well, why can't you just put your drop of blood in a machine and lots of test results come out? Makes sense to me. Yeah. So this is a great example of why this isn't a lightning round or rapid. <laughs> round All right. For your information. Favorite meal? Oh, gosh. Um, favorite meal for me would be a some kind of delightful pasta in Italy, sitting in a cafe in Italy with a great glass of wine. That would be the ultimate meal for me. And you gave me a good location and you gave me <laughs> a good glass of wine. What kind yes. of pasta do you like? Is it like thin, spaghetti, linguine, and soft? So... A red meat sauce for sure. And so I like more of the shell and right. The more rather than the, the long thin, right. I like more of the rigatoni. I mean, that kind of stuff. It tastes different in Italy. I don't yes. care what anybody says. It's just so much better. Do you have a favorite vacation spot? Absolutely. Botswana. Botswana. Do tell. If I could do anything in the world, I would be a safari guide in Botswana. I love to get in the Jeep and drive out and see the lions laying around and look at the giraffes and the zebras. And I could do that. My husband's cut me off from it. He's told me I can't, I'm, I'm working on getting him to let me go back. Right. He said, like, how many times do we have to do this? And I'm like, I could do this every day, all day. So if I reflect on you being tired of retirement and COVID, boy, <laughs> and I'm hearing if I could do some one thing for the rest of my life every day, that would be it. I'm like, huh, interesting. It seems like it's it's attainable, but that's probably a whole other podcast. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I I think that's, yeah, that's not, but I, I really, I love animals. I love watching animals. Uh, yeah. You have a lot of company. Nothing could be better to me than being out and watching animals. Okay. Favorite TV show of all time? So currently I'm kind of hooked on The Sopranos, which is an old TV show, right? When it was first out. I've gotten into 
watching The Sopranos and listening to um, a podcast that a couple of the folks who are in The Sopranos do. They go through every they go through an episode a week. So what, I rewatch The Sopranos and listen to the podcast and totally in the that's probably why pasta is my favorite meal at the moment. You know, there's always a theme with it. Other than Botswana, I figured Italy was going to be your favorite vacation spot. I was almost going to practice it and say, I know it's going to be somewhere in Italy. And then you threw me a curveball with Botswana. <laughs> Sorry. So, thanks for that. Now, uh, are you a cat person or a dog person? Dog. Oh, dog. Totally obsessed with dogs. Do you want to think about it? I sense you're swaying on this question. <laughs> I'm feeling like you don't know. What kind of dog specifically? So currently I have a golden retriever, big, I would say friendly, big dogs, not, not too, too big, right? I'm not going the Great Dane, but 70 pounds of love. Yeah. Male or female? Male. I, I've done both, right? Um, and I would say the males I've had, the females that I've had have been so awesome, like so in charge, so take no prisoners. The males I have are always like the whatever i'm just part of the pack <laughs> go with the flow really? same yeah. breed no always different a... breeds okay always a different breed yeah and i've had um b- before this one uh i had one that was a, a lab golden retriever mix so certainly would have a lab and they're you know labs are very sweet very energetic but very sweet have you thought about the labradoodle i have do you have a labradoodle no but there's not a big downside from what I can tell. And they're gorgeous. Yeah. And they're, they're, um, if you have allergies, they're good for that. I have a friend who's allergic to dogs and she has a Labradoodle. Right. Yes. I did hear the guy in Australia that invented kind of the, the golden doodle or the Labradoodle mm-hmm. wishes he didn't because people are now going bonkers with it. Yeah. I've heard that too. Yeah. So that's kind of out there. Final question. Dinner. With anyone, dead or alive, who would you ask to join you? No, maybe Marie Curie. It's got to be an awesome woman who moved mountains to make her mark. Mm. That's who I find most inspiring, right? The world for me has been a an easier place to navigate because of all the people who have come, all the women who have come before me. So it would be somebody who has, who really paved trails that I could learn from. Wow. Look at you. That's pretty, pretty deep, Terry. Every woman that's walked before you. That's a good one. Not that I'm judging, but that's, that's solid. Terry, thanks for your time today. Everything was, was really good. I really appreciate you being on the podcast and sharing as openly as you have. Well, thanks, Gary. I love talking to you. And um, uh, it was just an honor for me to share some of my experiences along the way. Oh, thanks. Okay, we'll speak soon. Thanks, Gary. Mm, bye. Bye-bye.